This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. All right, let's go. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you can Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. And whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. Now, if you've joined us for the very first time, a huge welcome. Uh, it's great that you've got started on your investing journey. If you want to get up to speed with the absolute basics, head across to our Get Started Investing podcast. Otherwise, let's get stuck in. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. Loving this series that we're doing. Yep. Ask an advisor. Um, on the podcast here, we're getting some of Australia's best financial advisors into the studio, and we're asking them our questions and the questions from the equity mates community and uh if you don't if you're not subscribed to our mailing list you might be missing our ask an advisor email that bryce uh sends out every thursday uh which again is another forum to ask these advisors questions we know the cost of financial advice is unaffordable for most it's certainly unaffordable for us um and this is our opportunity to use the platform to ask some advisors some questions. Yeah, we've had some awesome questions come in um, that we'll cover in this episode, but also that we're covering weekly in the EDM. So the email sign up is uh, in the show notes. So make sure you uh, sign up to that if you're not already. But today's advisor is Ben Warcope from uh, Wealth Health Co. And the overall theme of today's episode is financial well-being and uh, how to set yourself up at different stages of your life. Uh, a lot of the questions, as I said, have come in from the community. So a massive shout out to you guys. Keep them coming. Ask at equitymates.com is the e- email to send through your questions. That's ask at equitymates.com. But Ren, without further ado, let's jump straight into it. That's right. Well, Ben, uh, welcome to Equity Mates. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So this is part of the Ask an Advisor series, and we are going to cover a few different topics today. We've got cost of living questions that have come in from the community, and then a bit around financial well-being and uh, how we can set up financial well-being and security at different stages of our life. So let's kick off with the cost of living questions. And the first one that has come through from the community is, how much of my income should go towards my rent or my mortgage as a percentage? Well, yeah, I mean, this, this will really depend on where you're situated in terms of family um, and work, as it's not that easy just to, to relocate in order to reduce 
reduce those costs. But I would say if you're sort of young, um, to try and reduce these costs as much as possible. So if you've got the luxury of staying at home with mum and dad, um, don't take this for granted. It's a sort of a great way to keep costs low, um, allowing you to sort of save more um, over time. The other way, I guess, if you have to rent, would be renting a room in a share house, uh, which is going to be much cheaper than renting a place by yourself. Um, obviously, as you get older, <laughs> living in a share house, um, you're probably going to get over it. Um, so, you know, as you get older, you probably want to get your own space. Um, so reducing these costs when you're younger, you should be able to put more towards saving for your sort of first deposit of your own home. But I guess... Um, the rule, general rule of thumb, I mean, Scott Pate, the barefoot investor, noted in his book um, it was sort of no more than 25% of your take-home pay. Um, as interest rates rising, that sort of makes it a little bit more difficult, especially if you're sort of living in a capital city like Sydney or Brisbane where house prices <laughs> um, are pretty high. Um, you've got rising interest rates. So I guess, yeah, there's no probably right answer there, but, um, you know, uh, yeah, I guess there's that, that mark of 25 to 30%. Yeah, I've always heard the 30% and I've always just shook my head at that. In uh, what, what, what sense? Well, just like who's paying 30% or less of their gross take-home pay on housing? It feels like most people are going to be over that at this time. Is that the, what you're saying in your clients? Well, 30%, I guess if you're in a couple, that, that 30% of net take-home um, is going to be an easier target to yeah, hit. True, um, true. It's a lot harder as a single 30%. Yeah, good good luck with that. Uh, and I guess it really depends on, on where you're living as well. Um, and, and I guess it really depends on what's important to you. Like, do you value spending more time on where and how you live or other lifestyle choices or sort of improving your financial position for your future? So, you know, if you want to live in the city then and that's what you value, then spending sort of a higher percentage of your take-home pay um, you're happy to, to make that trade-off where if it's more about sort of, you know, um, improving your, your future position, then maybe taking a, um, a property, you know, further out, um, not as close to to the city um, would, would benefit you. Mm. Mm. It's a challenge. We uh, uh, had an interview yesterday with uh, a guy, Matt Barry, who was speaking about the housing market and he was giving examples of people paying 70 to 80 yeah. percent of income which is just like where did, what does that leave you with not not much. a lot yeah. yeah anyway next question that has come in ben is what are some of the best tips to help me get out of consumer debt that i racked up at university we've all been there <laughs> <laughs> well at first uh, so i think it's important to sort of define what consumer debt actually is because um, some people might not know that so consumer debt refers to sort of the debt incurred by individuals for uh, personal or household consumption purposes so taking out debt to acquire everyday expenses or major purchases things like you know credit cards personal loans car loans or buy now pay, pay later services which is that they're quite popular these days. So in terms of those debts, I, uh, what, are, what are tips to um, help me get out of them? I guess the, the first mistake I see a lot of my clients do is, is solely focus on paying down their consumer debt first at the expense of generating like an emergency fund or cash reserve. It, it, I always advise my clients to build a cash reserve first before paying down their consumer debt because the issue um, is that you, you're going to make some progress paying down this consumer debt, but then if you're sort of hit with any other unexpected costs, so, you know, your car might break down, um, you've got some sort of medical issue or you've got, I don't know, a 
one of your pets gets sick, um, then you don't have any other savings to rely on to pay those expenses. And then you're just forced to rely back on other consumer debt. So taking out more credit cards and you just get in this sort of debt trap. Um, so, so I'd say the first thing is to, you know, make sure that you've got a cash flow plan in place. Um, you're spending less than you earn and then you're, you sort of get that buffer initially. Um, so that might be five or 10 or 15, 15 grand. Um, and then you focus on paying down that consumer debt from there. Um, I guess if you've already got that financial sort of cushion in terms of a cash reserve, but you're sort of stuck with this high interest debt um, that's accumulating over time. I actually had a client last week uh, and she had sort of one of these payday loans and it, the interest rate was 49%. Oh, what? <laughs> and so she was just, you know, paying $100 a week to this and it was just interest. Oh, so she wasn't just paying it down. So I guess in that case, you could look at something like a, like a balance transfer um, on a credit card that has a like a interest-free period. So they're generally 12 to 24 months um, where you can take over that debt with, with a new credit. So pay it out using this balance transfer on a credit card. What you just have to make sure is that you're not making any new purchases on the credit card because um, the new purchase, purchases may yeah, accrue interest um, and payments may be allocated towards the balance transfer amount first. So then you're just going to start accruing interest on, on the new purchases. So um, you'd only just use this as a way to clear that existing debt and then pay it off within the interest-free period. So that's that's one strategy. But, you, I mean, you've got to be careful with, I guess, making sure that you're doing it correctly and, you know, you've got the ability to obtain a new credit facility yeah, the first point was an interesting one. I think when you're leaving uni and you've racked up a few beers on the credit card, you're not likely to have uh, an emergency fund or a buffer cash and the psychology of wanting to pay that off first before, you know, building that emergency fund, I think is one that people would grapple with because, you know, you don't, you just want to get rid of that debt. Um, but you can understand how you do get in that trap if things do pop up, you don't have the cash there, you keep relying on it. So that's some good advice. One other question, Ben, that we got from the community around cost of living was around uh, setting up a good cash flow system. Uh, I think, especially these days, you know, we've mentioned housing and stuff like that. Um, it, it can be hard to feel like you're getting ahead. So what are the building blocks that we can put in place to set up a good cash flow system? So, so I would say firstly that, yeah, uh, cash flow is the most important aspect to anyone's finances. So you could earn, you know, you could be a high income earner, but if you, you spend all the money that you earn, you're, you're not going to get ahead. So having really good sort of habits and behavior around your cash flow is the most important thing to, I guess, succeeding from a financial point of view. And that sort of really starts with knowing what what your income is so most people you know if they're salary and wage employees they know that they've got a regular fortnightly or monthly or weekly income for other people that may be doing shift work that might change a little bit because you've got you know overtime or penalty allowances but it's i guess getting a, a figure that's going to regularly come in that you know um uh yeah it's going to be there and then the second step is is knowing your expenditure. So what what does it cost you to live? And that can be really hard. So, you know, there are some some applications like apps like Frollo, that's a free one. Um, there's a few other ones like MoneySoft that I use that does a data scrape of um, your bank accounts and your transactions. Okay. Um, so we can sort of sit down and go, okay, well, over the past 12 months, this is what you've spent and we know the actual figures. Um, so just on that, does that because um, Ren's had this this gripe with CBA and yes. the 
not actually like I think the app tries to categorize your spending, you, but it doesn't do these, a good job at you it. You get these like broad and ultimately useless categorizations, and you can set the categorizations yourself, but. Uh, they're so broad and there's like eight buckets and you can't actually get any like meaningful insight into how you're spending. Mm. Yeah. So, do these apps like do a good job at that? Uh, well, from uh, MoneySoft, I've, I mean, for my, I guess it's what I do for a job. So, I've I've set all my, my rules up, um, which took a long time, but, right. and then I've got to go through, it doesn't automatically get it right, you know, from Day the one. beginning. So, I've got to go in and then recategorize it. Um, so, that probably takes like, yeah. That's the biggest time that I spend. But I think it's just so important to get those figures to show, okay, well, this is what it's costing you to live at the moment. So we know those the figures. And then we can sort of, we can break it down further and go, okay, well, these are your sort of fixed costs. The, you know, your, um, your loans, your, your bills, um, you know, medical costs, your insurances, utilities, all of these things that you can't really get away from. It just costs, I mean, it's just the cost of living as opposed to your discretionary costs, which are going out um, to the pub or, or going out, for, you know, buying concert tickets or, or shopping, which you have full sort of control over on whether you, you, you spend that money or not. So it's breaking it down into, you know, your more your fixed costs and then your discretionary costs and then knowing, okay, well, my loans are costing me this, my fixed costs are costing me this, I've got X amount left over that I can then either decide to spend on discretionary costs and if I want to get into a, into a surplus position so I'm saving money moving forward, then I know that I have to spend X amount on discretionary costs because if I spend more, I'm going to either spend everything that I earn or I'm going to actually spend more than I earn. So you then have a sort of a, you can have a banking a bank account structure that you've got you know, your bills um, accounted for, your loans accounted for, and then you might get a weekly allowance into your, your fund spending discretionary money um, of whatever that may be, leaving X amount left over to put towards your other financial goals. So it's having sort of a, a bank account structure where you've got set, I guess, allowances and generally setting these up to be automated is, is a good thing. So, you know, you might get paid on a Every, every Thursday, so these tr- automatic transfers goes into these other bank accounts on the Friday and then you know you've got, okay, $200 this week to spend on fun and if I spend more than that, then I'm going to be eating into another bucket and it's going to break down and I'm going to forgo uh, achieving my goals yeah, for this week, but you're making that educated decision. So having, having the numbers is really important. Mm. Well, that's good because that's what Ren and I have spoken about on the show is uh, the power of automating as much of your your cash management as possible. So Ben, when uh, we were preparing for the interview, we let the community know that you're, you know, you're from Wealth Health Co and uh, have a focus on financial well-being. And one of the questions that came f- from the community was that they keep hearing about financial well-being, but want to understand what it is beyond just, I guess, financial security. Is there more to it? Is it a is it a buzzword? How do you define s- sort of financial well-being? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So, I guess firstly, well-being is defined as the state of being comfortable, healthy, or happy. So, to me, financial well-being is knowing that you're in control of your finances. So, what does that mean? You've got, you know, your cash flow. You know that you're earning more than you're spending, and that you're not in a state of financial stress. So, you're able to meet your obligations, your loans on time, and you're not, you know in fear of missing any repayments and that you're confident that you're working towards your financial goals. So 
yeah, I think it's just being yeah comfortable and, and happy in the in the fact that you're going to be able to achieve what you want to achieve. So, uh, in terms of setting up good practices to establish financial well-being, how do you talk to your clients about getting to that point of feeling comfortable, feeling happy? Yeah, take us through, I guess, the key pillars in in uh, achieving financial well-being. Yeah, okay. I guess the first one is is really knowing your why. Um, so define what you really want in life, what yeah, why you want it and and what makes you tick because that's the first like yeah, there's no point um like working towards a financial sort of goal if it if it doesn't make you if it's not aligned with your sort of you know personal values. So that's the first first stage I start with any any client is really working out what's important to them. Um, and a lot of people haven't taken that time to work that out. They just they're so busy, head down, bum up, day to day working that they haven't actually taken the time to work out where do I want to be in five years, in, in ten years. Um, and so I'd say, yeah, knowing your why, what makes you tick, is the, the first part of that. The second part is knowing that that finances do play a big role in your life. So the key pillars of any sort of life, you know, you've got health, relationships. Finances are a big part of it. Um, so being aware of that and not sticking your head in the sand and, and really trying to better your understanding of financial, financial aspects of your life, I, I think is a big part. So your financial mindset is really important. So, I mean, I think that has come a long way in the last sort of 10 years with, you know, the podcast, like a lot of, you know, different podcasts and different access to sort of financial information is, is helping people yet to improve that. Thirdly, I'd probably say, yeah, knowing your numbers is a big part of it. So, you know, knowing um, your income or what you earn, your expenses, your debts, so what you owe, and then your assets around what you own. Because if you know this, it sort of provides a clear picture of your current financial situation. And without this knowledge, I guess it's difficult to create a financial plan that is going to help you achieve your, your why. So going back to that first point around, well, you know, what is important to me? Finally, I would just say paying attention to your finances is super important um, as well. And so what I mean by this is if you've got a mortgage, knowing what your interest rate is, knowing uh, you know, your entitlements at work, if you've got any like employee benefits, um, like salary packaging entitlements, just like, yeah, just paying attention to everything and, and trying, trying to sort of, I guess, the, guess the, get the best deal that you can um, and making your sort of finances as most efficient as possible because um, that can drastically improve I guess, your overall financial position. That that last point, paying attention to your finances, is an interesting one because on one hand, uh, we say, you know, uh, over-trading is hazardous to your wealth and you don't want to be checking your portfolio all the time and the, the best uh, money plans are ones that are automated and, you know, regular. And then on the other hand, it's, you know, you, you've got to pay attention to your finances and have your finger on the pulse of what's going on and stuff like that. And I guess the way I approach that dichotomy or whatever you want to call it is every quarter I put time aside to just check on like all the key financial stuff, like how are my investments going, all of that. Luckily, I don't have any consumer debt at the moment or a mortgage, but you know, that, that would fold into that sort of quarterly just financial check-in. For your clients, how do you advise them to, I guess, uh, set themselves up and, and manage their time so that they are both paying attention to their finances, but then not paying too much attention that they're becoming obsessed or, you know, looking too much and then making silly decisions because they're panicking day to day? Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Um, I, I think like 
so paying attention to yeah, there's yeah, there's overkill. So um, like you know, let's say with your, with your mortgage, you probably want to be. I mean, reviewing your mortgage probably every one to t- maybe t- probably two years. So if you you know if you're looking to refinance or, or going back to the bank, there's no point doing it every month because you know you're not going to get anywhere with that. Um, so if you refinance to get a lower interest rate. Um, then you know it's probably unlikely that you're going to be able to get refinance again in another you know six months time because you're still going to be fairly in the market. So yeah, maybe every every two years you want to be checking in on things like that. I guess all your sort of general insurances, your private health, your car, your uh, home and contents, that type of thing, probably reviewing them every every year or two as well. So even just going to some comparison websites, just checking in that you're still in the market because. A lot of sort of banks and these financial institutions, they look after new customers. So they, they try and incentivize new customers to come across, but they don't sort of look after existing customers that well. So there's probably, um, you know, you can always probably improve um, improve in those areas um, every every one to two years as well. Now, before we just uh, jump to an ad break, uh, I'd like to know if, what is your why, Ben? Like, what uh, what are you achieve trying to work towards? I mean, you're always dishing out advice, but I'd love to know on your side of the fence. Uh, are you a fire guy? You're searching for a number, or yeah, what what is your why? I've got a young family, so I've got a pretty much a two-year-old and we've got a, our next one due in three weeks. So Congrats. Um, for me, it's really about probably when I grew up, I had a lot of a lot of space. We had like a, you know, a big backyard, swimming pool and, and, and playing with friends was, was like, you know, that's what I remember from my childhood. So I want to be able to give that to my kids. So at the moment, my sort of, yeah, my why is, is really working hard to be able to purchase a bigger, a bigger house so that my kids can, can grow up so that's yeah that's my why at the moment love that yes uh fond memories of running around in uh big backyard in wagga as well but uh here in sydney whew, few yeah, and far yes, between it's like yeah. Anyway, yeah, having, having any type of land is, is, oh, man. is like a distant dream yes anyway we're going to take a quick break but then on the other side we're going to go through uh some ways that we can support our financial well-being at different stages of life whether we're just starting out or at that stage of transitioning into retirement and uh, what we can be doing at each of those stages so we'll be right back if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, welcome back. We are here with Ben Warcope from Wealth Health Co., a financial planning firm and mortgage broking service. And uh, we're discussing the cost of living and uh, also financial well-being. Now, uh, Ben, you've recently um, written some content around how to build and support well-being at different life stages. And I think that's quite important because what we do when we're in our early teens and 20s is probably very different to those that are in their you know, 40s and then going on to uh, retirement in later in life. So we want to understand how you think about each of those life stages. So let's start with what you classified as the wealth starters. Who are they and what matters at this stage of one's sort of financial well-being journey? Yeah, so so wealth starters, I would say, uh, you know, those people in their sort of twenties and, and early, maybe up to thirty five. Um, so I guess uh, you know you've just started earning reliable income. I guess the first thing is getting good habits around your cash flow. As I said before um, earlier in the podcast, that you know cash flow is the the number one thing um, uh, to 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 make sure you're sort of I guess you're building on your finances. So control your spending, develop sort of the discipline to live within your income um, so that you don't fall into sort of bad financial habits, um, including those sort of debt traps. Um, So spending money that you don't have on credit cards or buy now, pay later schemes. Um, Prepare for emergencies. So as I said before, you know, building up a a cash buffer so that if you are hit with some unexpected costs, um, you've got the ability to pay them. Starting to look to invest in your future, I think it is really important as well. Um, so, you know, whether that's sort of initiating some sort of small investment plan, just just getting um, getting into the habit of putting some money away for the future. I mean, you've got your superannuation that's going to be coming in um, automatically, but by the sort of by the time you retire, that's going to that. that that age is getting pushed out and out. Um, so having, you know, some other sort of source of passive income source that you're building over time, and it doesn't have to be a big amount, um, but just getting in that habit of putting something away. So I'd say, yeah, those are the, the major things at um, the wealth starter stage. Uh, one question we got from the community, Ben, was around uh, the stock market and investing, I guess, at the moment. So, um, for any young clients that you have coming through, the wealth starters, or I guess kids of uh, any clients that you have that are in that wealth starter mindset and stage, how are you advising them to think about investing in the stock market at the moment? Yeah. So, I guess, well, where I start is coming down to to why, like why uh why are you investing? So to get I rich. Had a, <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a client call the other day. Oh, so it was a sister of a client, and she said, "Oh, you know, my your, so the, her brother, who's a client of mine, he set up this investment, and and so I like I think I need to set one up as well. And just because he had done it, and you know, she saw him doing it, and like, oh, that, that's probably a good idea. Uh, and I sort of started, you know, delving into that more around. Well, okay, well, what's your current situation and they were in the process of building their house um, and they had, you know, rising interest rates and they had an offset account in their house. And um, after going through all sort of, I guess, 
what was important to them, it turned out that, well, maybe just wait until the house is finished, until the dust has settled on that. We know a bit more about your, your, your incoming and outgoings at that stage that will just hold off putting an investment plan together um, because you've got other issues to focus on now. Um, but I guess if, if it does turn out that investing um, is appropriate because ultimately investing is, is a strategy that's going to help you achieve your longer-term goals faster by making your money work harder for you. So that, that's what investing is, right? I guess you, what I, I sort of run through a five-step process. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but it's sort of, I guess, defining what entity you're going to be investing in, whether it's your personal name or whether it's a, you know, a uh, investment bond or your partner's name or a family trust. So there are different entities that you can invest in, and that's going to affect the rate of tax that you pay. Um, um, so that's the first point. Um, you're then looking at, I guess, your um, investment preferences. So active versus passive management. Are you looking at an ethical investment portfolio? Things like that. Um, platform choice. So what platform are you going to be investing in? Base, and, and this will really come back to trying to limit transaction costs. So um, obviously, as technology's got better, there are, there are a lot more platforms out there to use. Um, so just making... Yeah, the right decision based on how much you're going to be investing upfront and ongoing. And then ultimately, what investment instrument are you going to be using? Are we going to be investing into direct shares or ETFs, so exchange-traded funds or, or managed funds? Um, so that's a bit of a, a process that we go through um, before we actually get to, okay, well, it is yeah, what are we actually doing? Mm. One, one other question uh, that we sometimes get around the wealth starter uh uh, life stage, I guess, before we get on to uh, the next couple. Um, we've mentioned emergency funds a few times. Do you have a rule of thumb about how big they should be? Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so, I just, where I begin with that is okay, well, most people have an idea of what makes them feel comfortable by having a certain amount of money in their bank account at all times. Um, and I get a wide-ranging um, response to that question when I first sit down with my clients, and it's either sort of towards the minimum, towards the, the lower points around the ten thousand dollar mark. Um, but some people don't feel comfortable unless they've got you know three or six months worth of living expenses um, in the bank account. So I just I think it comes back to what what you feel comfortable with, and and I guess it also what is your your monthly expenditure because if you've got you know if you're earning more but your monthly expenditure is higher then i think you've probably got to have more a higher emergency account as well mm. as opposed to if you're living at home with mum and dad and your costs are really low you might not be earning as much then having a, a lower lower buffer is probably going to be okay then your emergency fund is just your mum and dad's emergency fund <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think as well speaking of cost of living and stuff like it's um it's important to check your emergency account, I think, regularly to be like, is it actually, if I was to like go out of work right now, is it actually enough to sustain? Oh, yeah. Or is it still based on 22-year-old Bryce's Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah is yeah. it still based on when I didn't have an increase in rent and all those sorts of things? So I think it's important. All right, so the next one is wealth accumulators. So I've set up my emergency fund. I've got good cash flow. I'm, I'm comfortable with the foundations. Now I'm in that stage of life where I'm trying to really start to get the, the wheels turning and, and building wealth who do you define as the wealth accumulators and at this point in one's life what is it important to focus on yeah so i, th I think wealth accumulators are those sort of probably aged 
between 30 and, and, and 55. Um, so you should be really focusing on, on growing your income. Um, so you should, you know, progress through your working career a little bit more. And so it's important that you're sort of, you're looking at um, opportunities to build your savings and, and contributions to your wealth creation plan. So um, yeah, re- really working on, on the income side of things. Um, also avoiding lifestyle creep, I think is important here. So what that is, is when people generally earn more, they start spending more. So, you know, treat yourself type of thing. I've, you know, I've now earning more, I can spend more myself. Um, I think that's important to, you know, try and um, still live within your means. Um, especially if you sort of, if you don't have kids, <laughs> once you have kids and as I've found and you go down to one income, things get, yeah, things get a lot tighter and you don't necessarily have the ability to, to put as much away. So, you know, if you're a, what they call sink or dink, so single income, no kids, or dual income, no kids, really focus on sort of making hay whilst the sun shines, as they say, um, and, and, you know, yeah, putting a lot of that surplus income away as opposed to, yeah, spending it on, on lifestyle choices. At that stage as well, you're sort of, you know, looking at your estate planning. So if something did happen to me, who, who, who's the money going to go to? So looking at things like your will and your super death benefit nominations and having that investment plan in place as well is going to be super important. So I'm 32, uh, recently married, and um, I think my mum messaged me recently. It was like, have you sorted your will? And it's just such a like a... A thing that you're just like, well, you know what? We don't have want to you- do this now. No, I haven't. We haven't. But it feels like it's definitely getting to that point where, you know, you should surely, get those things sorted. Surely it would just be an equal split between your wife and me. <laughs> <laughs> he's absolutely nailed it. No. So, so Ben, uh, speaking of Bryce's life stages, he's in that wealth accumulator stage. He's got married. He's looking for a house, uh, getting frustrated by Sydney property prices and maybe allegedly thinking about having a kid. <laughs> what, are, what are the things he should be doing as currently a dual income, no kids household, but maybe soon no, uh, no. Uh, kids on the way? How do you no. set yourself up financially for that? Yeah, so I guess having that cash flow plan in place and knowing that you're putting you're putting money aside to to those future goals, such as buying buying the first house and looking at tax effective sort of opportunities. Like I know you can consider the first home super saver scheme. Um, it's just one way to to save your first house in a tax effective manner. Um, now that the scheme's quite complicated, but um, so I won't go into it too much more, but. Uh, yeah, that's one option, I would say. As is everything with super, to be honest. Uh, so complicated. It's unnecessarily yeah. <laughs> complicated, yeah, yeah. I do like the comment, though, around the lifestyle creep. I think that is one, you know, you can grow your income, but uh, I think we posted a quote on um, our Instagram the other day from Morgan Housel, and it was the most powerful way to grow your money is learning to live with less since that's one thing you can absolutely control. So um, if you do get that pay rise, yeah, it's... Um, the more you can bank that pay rise, obviously, the better off you are long term. Yeah, so- I, I, yeah, especially over in the West here, we have a lot of sort of mining and FIFO workers who are on extremely inflated income. Well, yeah, they work obviously work hard, but they're on on big incomes. But you sit down and they've been working in the in the mining sector for ten years, and they've really got nothing to show for it because um, they. I mean, that's very uh, categorised. I mean, all into one one there, but it is a common thing where they. 
they don't know how to control their expenditure. They they start earning more, um, and they but they spend it, so they don't they don't keep any of it. So let's move to I guess the final stage or the final two stages of life, which is wealth transitioners getting ready for retirement and then uh, actually being retired. So. Um, how do we think uh, about money and about uh, growing or I guess spending wealth at this stage and, and what matters? Yeah, so I think when you're sort of you're coming up to that that retirement, it's really, well, one is, is knowing what it costs you to live again. So it's the common theme around, you know, cash flow. But when we work with sort of pre-retirees, so, you know, those within five years of re- retiring, it, it's knowing what it's going to cost them to live because then we can sort of... Um, we can use modeling and projections to work out, okay, well, if you were to retire at this age and stop earning any money and you're relying on your assets to to sort of support you through throughout retirement, obviously, if you're spending $120,000, it costs you $120,000 a year to live um, versus $60,000 to live, uh, you know, you're going to have, have to have a lot more capital there to, to support you through, through retirement um, or you're going to have to work longer. So... Um, really knowing what it costs you to live, um, also how your your sort of your current assets are invested because um, you don't want sort of I guess sequencing risk, which is um, I guess a risk where you're coming up to retirement and then we have another sort of you know market downturn, global financial crisis, um, and you're still heavily invested in growth assets that then take you know a massive hit and you're forced to start you know selling down some of those assets to live on once you've retired. Um, and that's where you're sort of crystallizing sort of some major capital losses as well. So knowing your sort of, I guess, your overall asset allocation and um, investment risks is important at that stage. Minimizing tax. So you say that super is yeah, not the easiest thing to understand, but it becomes even more complicated as you get into retirement, looking at things like account-based pensions and structuring your assets for Centrelink in the future, um, if it's sort of applicable to you. So um, probably seeking financial advice at that stage is super important because there's so much, I guess, that you can you can do at that stage to maximise um, your position moving forward. Nice, Ben. Well, we, um, we've reached the end of uh, all the questions that have come through from the community and some great pieces of advice in there. I think uh, a, lot of, a lot that are applicable given what we're all sort of facing at the moment with increases in rent, interest rates, like we're all certainly you know, trying to stay ahead and make sure that our cash flow plan um, is uh, is right for the time. So we, we very much appreciate you taking the time to uh, speak with us today. And just a reminder for the Equitymates community, if you would like to uh, ask a question for our next advisor, you can hit us up at ask at equitymates.com. Uh, similarly, I will add in the uh, link to the blog posts that Ben has written in a bit more detail around the, the different stages of life and uh, how to set up for financial well-being. But uh, Ben, is there anywhere that our audience can go to get in contact with you if they'd like more information or to uh, set up a session with Wealth Health? Yeah, firstly, thanks for having me again. And then um, it's just www.wealthhealthco.com.au um, is our website. There's a sort of a an inquiry box on there that they can send send an inquiry through um, to, to reach out if, if that's something they want to do. Great. Well, we really appreciate it, Ben. As we said it uh, in our intro, um, you know, it's uh, re- we, we like being able to uh, connect our audience with uh, advisors from around Australia because it's, um, you know, it's important to be able to hear from the experts in, in times like this. So thank you very much. 
Cheers. Thanks. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.